you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. To another episode of the Half Step Pod. I am your co-host Connor Lane. Across from me, as usual, my co-host Grant Fisher. Grant, we are finally recording, and it's going to happen. Yeah, it seems to be happening. Although earlier today we tried to record and had some serious uh, recording issues. We Technical got, like, difficulties. Yeah, we got extreme. like we were like halfway through the recording, and I looked down, and nothing was being recorded. So. Yeah, some, some tef- technical difficulties on my end, but hopefully this one saves. If you're listening well, to it, this one saved. It worked. He, yeah. well, you, it, that made it sound like you didn't even press record, which isn't <laughs> what happened. You pressed record and there was just, and it was working and then nothing was working. And then we restarted GarageBand a couple times and it worked. So shout out GarageBand for being hella inconsistent all the time. Yep, yeah. And uh, it was going to happen eventually. It was also, we're finally getting it in though. We've got a lot to talk about. We're eight days out from the Olympic trials. Uh, that's exciting. We got NCAs. We got uh, Mo running the Diamond League meet, a heck of a Diamond League meet. We got 10K women's world record. I mean, dude, there's a lot to jump into, but we should probably start with being just a week out from the trials. Yeah, yeah, just over a week out. And yeah, like you said, the track world is heating up. Um, yeah, it seems like everyone's just kind of coming into their prime shape right now, which is exactly what you want as an athlete. Um, this is the meet that you peak for. Um, if you're from the U.S., it's for the trials and the Olympics. If you're not from the U.S. and maybe have a different selection protocol, um, maybe you're peaking only for the Olympics or targeting some Diamond League stuff. Um, so it's an exciting time. People are coming into form, um, kind of coming out of hibernation. People coming out of nowhere. It seems you know it's it's an Olympic year, so um, the competition's stiff. Um, but yeah, I'm getting excited just seeing everybody tearing it up. Like you said, Mo just ran in a, in a Diamond League meet. He ran 12:50, uh, which is pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know, the NCAA is going crazy right now. The men's 10K was last night. Uh, had a ton of guys break 28, which is kind of unprecedented. Um, and then I've been watching a bunch of the women's uh, prelim stuff today. Uh, for NCAA so it's it's exciting I, I'm definitely getting you know getting in that summer race vibe again yeah and it feels like you're also getting we talked a little bit in the first episode uh, that will not ever make it to air because your half the recording is gone but <laughs> we talked a little bit about you getting into your own zone just being a week out from the trial so what what is that like for you I mean you I think you know it, it's been a long time coming yeah yeah totally um you know, the way my coach trains our group, we're operating at a pretty high intensity year round. Um, you know, obviously there's cycles and, you know, macro cycles, mini cycles and stuff where you um, increase the intensity and then bring it down. But ultimately we train pretty hard year round. Um, you know, there are a couple of meets where we might taper down a little bit. There were some this February and March where we targeted those and tapered down a bit, but this is my first time post-collegiately getting ready for a major championship. So a little bit uncharted territory um, as far as preparing for that, but um, a similar feeling that 
to what I've you know felt in high school, college, um, every level of getting ready for the big dance. Um, just got to get your mind right, get your body right, get your legs underneath you. Um, just try to feel good. Um, and with with my current coach, uh, the training has decreased a little bit. You know, we're gonna begin to taper a bit, um, and have already started. The mileage will come down a little. The workouts will get easier. They'll turn into more feel-good stroke sessions rather than you know grinding sessions where you're trying to build fitness. Because you know we're eight days out right now. You're not building too much fitness, you know, between here and then. So yeah, it's uh, all in the barn almost. Yeah, yeah, it's all in the barn. So hopefully the the work is there, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good one in in uh, next week. Yeah, well, the other thing that you said that I wanted to talk about is it feels like we've been counting down to this race specifically <laughs> for so long. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, uh, yeah, it seems like it's been a minute. Oh, it's so funny. I mean, it's more so than any other meet I've run in. You know, you, I feel like I'd pop open Instagram or social media months ago and people would be saying something like 100 days until the trials. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like, what? What is hundred days. It's like a little over three months. I was like, Oh, that's kind of a long time. And then, you know, you get the people 50 days till the trials or two months till the trials and then one month till the trials. And they were saying all that stuff a year ago too, which also confuses things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of doubled up these countdowns that people have started. Um, maybe it's people getting hyped up. Um, maybe it's, you know, people, I don't know nervous i i don't know i mean it's all good yeah yeah just saying a time yeah (laughs) yeah it's just it's just incredible or not incredible but just interesting how far out the countdown has started for most of my other races you know before maybe a sound running meet or before peyton jordan or something i don't think i was ever like we got 100 days till peyton jordan or we got (laughs) 20 days or three weeks or whatever. And I understand that the magnitude of the Olympic trials is different, but it's kind of funny just seeing all these countdowns going. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never thought of like a workout block in a hundred day segment. <laughs> I mean, at most it's like three weeks, I think. Cause then, I mean, a lot of coaches do like either two up and one down or three up and one down, like a little bit, right. Training weeks. But the idea of like, like the idea of a hundred days would be almost overwhelming, like a hundred days to get better. It's like, I, I mean, it just seems like such a large block. Like, I don't, I don't know. I hope I come out the other side better than I was a hundred days ago. Yeah. I don't really know though. Yeah. A hundred days. Like it seems like a long time. seems like a short time. It's kind of an arbitrary number, I guess. Like just cause I always think of things in, like you said, months, weeks, things like that, which yeah. are like odd numbered things, not hours we, we the other the other part of the pre-recorded pod was we figured out we were 200 hours out from the start of the 10k which is now like 195 hours out from the start of your 10k at 8 p.m on friday on next friday uh yeah which is which is what june 18th so we're really once we knew we were underneath the 200 hour threshold we knew that it was time for you to lock in. Yeah, that, that, I was worried about your availability <laughs> later in the day, but we're here now. Yeah, that's when you want to uh, lock in for sure. That two hundred hour mark, very crucial, uh, very key. That's uh, yeah, that's when you turn up the heat. <laughs> <laughs> and the heat, it's going to be tough because, uh, and this is a little bit of a joke, but a little bit serious. Um, your two hundred hour mark for the five k is going to be before your ten k. Mm. So we're going to have to. I mean, that that that's the serious question that also we talked about in the now deleted podcast, but about how you balance 
the potential to double, I mean, I guess technically even triple at a meet like this where each event means so much. Uh, are you even thinking about that 5K now? Will you think about it or is it 100% 10K? Then we flip the page after the race and analyze what happens with, with the other events. De definitely the latter. Um, just with regards to how I like to operate, how uh, Jerry has been talking with us, it's let's take care of business in the 10. Um, let's focus everything in on that, do as best as we can, do our best, and then um, reassess and make a plan for a double back after that. Um, one step at a time, you know, you don't want to be looking past anything at this level. And I feel the same way if you're at, you know, pac 12s and you have a prelim in the 15, you don't want to look past the prelim and think about the final too much because when you start doing that, you start discounting other people in the race. You start overestimating how good you're going to feel and it, it just never works. Um, even, even if you, you know, make it through and end up in the final, I, I just don't like to operate that way. Um, so right now the plan is, yeah, all in on the 10, um, full focus, uh, not even thinking about the five, just one step at a time. That's the, the first priority. And then uh, we actually have six days between the 10K and the 5K prelim. So that's enough time to reset, relax, you know, make a new plan, uh, refocus, recreate a race plan, and um, just just approach that with a fresh fresh mind. Um, and that approach will be the same. It'll be approach the prelim, not not like as a final, I guess that's the wrong way to put it, but not, you know, don't project to the final too much when you're just not even through the prelim yet. You, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. Well, and then, so there is a 5K prelim. Is there, is it 32 people who, or I mean, so it's it's everyone who hits standard at 1325, but do they fill, what do they fill it out to if that's not hit, for, for example? Do you know? Because I, I was talking to Alec about this and neither of us knew. It depends on the event. Um, I'm pretty sure like the 1500, I think, fills out to 30 or maybe 32. The 5K, I'm trying to think. I, it might be 24. What the hell? Um, I'm not really sure, though. Uh, that, that would be something to look up, what they fill the field to. Why do we cap it that low? I mean, maybe it's not 24. It could be... No, but I mean, that's what that's what we thought it might be, 24. Even, I mean, I don't know. Either way, it feels like, especially with the fact that we're doing prelims anyway. Yeah, I like, mean, you know, like, 24 would yeah. give you 12, 12 people in one heat and 12 in the other, and then uh, a top five automatic plus next two fastest to make 12 in the final. But you could do all that with even like 15 or, or 16. I don't know. I mean, I understand yeah. it's the trials and you don't want a bunch of like running just just crazy you know like 30 person heats or anything but like the final for the 5k at ncas is 24 that's true yeah I mean, obviously it's a little crowded but yeah i don't know um i'm not sure I, I know like declarations and scratches are going on right now so I, i'm sure there are people on the bubble that are looking to to see if they'll get in that was me in 2016 i got in because uh, they filled the field i didn't have the the standard um, and so I was waiting until a week before to see who scratched and who didn't. And, um, they filled the field and let, let a young me in, um, yeah, just to get completely rocked in the, in the heat. I think I got second to last of my heat, didn't advance. Um, but it was a cool experience, but yeah, they, they fill the field usually, um, if there aren't enough, uh, people that have the standard. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. They fill it. I just feel like 
uh, it just seems kind of dumb to cap it at any, like less than 30 people potentially. Anyway, we gotta do, we gotta do more research before we can, we can talk <laughs> about that. But, uh, I mean, it, yeah, just, just to get, because this is like the premiere event, you know, this is the one on NBC, it's the trials. It's going to get the most coverage. Like you want to give runners opportunities. I don't know if we need to cut it at like 24 people. There's so many good distance runners. Right? I mean, and, and, you know, track athletes, but distance running this year has been insane you know yeah and and the standards only get harder you know like yes that's true in 2016 um i remember sean ran 1324 and uh i believe the a standard at the time was 1325 like the olympic a standard um and i think the trial standard was 1328 now the olympic standard is what, what did you run to get in i ran 1330 and and they filled the field to get me in um yeah, now the, now the Olympic standard is thirteen thirteen. The trial standard is thirteen twenty five. So it's you know global running's getting better and U.S. running's getting better too, uh, which is it's cool to see. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so we're we're eight days out. Are you going to approach the next eight days going into this race any differently because of all the stuff around it? And you know, I mean, obviously, what it means, or is it going to just be? everything kind of the same we talked about how your workouts are obviously you're in more of a taper zone than you normally are but uh just in addition to that as well or is there anything else that's like going to be i gotta like extra lock in like, is there a zone you're going to go to that you don't <laughs> normally go to because i feel like you'd approach most races you know you're not going to half-ass any preparation for anything whether it's a sound running meet or a stump town or or the trials but i could you know i don't know where you take it to yeah that's that's an interesting question i think everybody's different with it um Personally, I try to approach every race the same. Um, this one's going to be a bit harder to do that, honestly. It's it's the trials. It's high stakes. Uh, we're in a fancy new stadium. Uh, everyone knows what's on the line. Uh, I'm going to do my best to approach it the same way that I always approach races, um, which is you know, not taking anything for granted, not underestimating anybody, and setting up a race plan that I think is best for myself. And... Uh, trying to execute it as best as I can. Um, you know, I've gotten in traps before leading up to big races where you try to change things or um, you try to hype yourself up more than you usually do. And you start thinking about the race weeks out and you kind of obsess over it and it just kind of wears you down. Um, you know, I, I've been thinking about the trials for a very long time, of course, but, uh, you know, if you're, going into this taper mode, thinking about the big one, the big race, and you so desperately want to feel good, want to feel like poppy and zippy on race day, and then you wake up and you're not, sometimes that messes with your head. For sure. Yeah, when, you, when you're just like reaching for that feeling or you're reaching for that, you know, that feeling one time you had before a race where you were just unstoppable, where you could do whatever you wanted in the race and win. Um, if you reach for that feeling, we've all, we've all had, we've all been there. <laughs> or if you just reach for the feeling of like where you felt best, no matter when it mm. happened, chances are you're not going to feel that good on, on the Olympic trials day. Um, it's more likely that you feel more average. <laughs> um, and, and that's where you can draw upon past experiences. I, we talked about this before, but you, yeah, you, yeah. you shape your narrative based on what is best for you. Like, if, if you wake up on race day and are a bit sluggish, a bit tired, you'll draw upon the experiences of 
when you were a little tired in training, training through a race, and you still went out there and had a good one. Um, if you wake up on race day and feel incredible, then you'll look back on those days where you had good races when you were feeling kind of flat in the middle of training months ago and think to yourself, man, I feel fresh. I feel good to go. I'm going to run even better now. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever it takes to, to convince yourself that you're ready and, and not doubt yourself, um, people will, will kind of draw on those experiences. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you don't know how you're going to feel until the day of. So it's, it's dumb to be like, which one are you going to, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, whatever it takes. Um, I, yeah, so that 10K is in eight days. You got a couple new entrants potentially after last night uh, on the men's side with the 10K final with that whole first day of NCAs. We had two guys competing, uh, Kai Robinson and Charles Hicks. Kai won his heat of the steeple. Charles was seventh, ran twenty-seven forty-seven for seventh in the NCA five and NCA ten, which is, which is crazy. I know we were both watching. We were texting about it a little bit, and also we. I mean, we had the women's today. I, we, I was gonna separate them out, but we maybe don't need to. Ella and Christina got through in the fifteen for us, and you know everything was super just across the board was was very fast. They kept saying like, "Oh, this is the fastest the prelims ever been running for for distance events," which was which is pretty crazy across the board. What do you want to like, what do you take away from watching that, watching that meet last couple of days? Uh, yeah, it was really cool to see all the Stanford people showing out. Um, you know, Kai did a great job in that steeple prelim. Uh, he's a freshman, you know, usually you don't see freshmen as composed as, as he was, um, looked really smooth coming down the line the last 50 meters. So, um, definitely excited for him tomorrow. Uh, the 10 K was crazy. Um, you know, if anyone has watched it, Kip to goes to the front and does his front running thing, he which did it. He went yeah, for it, which we discussed in our last podcast, and uh, it didn't work. <laughs> um, no, and honestly, I wasn't it didn't work bad. I wasn't that surprised. Um, I know that's been successful for him in the past that strategy, but in order for that to be totally effective, to just run away from the field. First of all, I didn't think anyone was just going to voluntarily let him go because it's the NCAA championships. So people were going to go with him, which they did. And then secondly, you have to be so much better than everybody else to really break them using that strategy because it, it just takes more energy to lead from the front. Um, yep. I've seen it. I've seen that strategy work in, in college. Um, Pat Tiernan used that strategy and uh, was very successful a few times, but... Well, and Kip Two's done it too. Yeah, you know? I mean, he did it in indoor. He did it at both the regional meets. Well, regional was interesting as well. He just disappeared, which is different because people kind of let him go. But yeah, I mean, you're exactly. You need a level of class on that day that's superior to I think what he had on the rest of the field. Yeah, yeah, I think the even if he were the fittest guy in the field, yeah, you need a bigger margin than than I think what he had uh, to have it be an effective strategy. You know, there are a lot of guys in that race that have run under 1330 um guys that have broke 20 broken 28 before those are those are hard guys to shake um yeah and front running it it's really really hard to do um i expected more of like a fartlek style strategy from uh from kip two um but either way the race was fast it dragged a lot of people to really fast times uh well it did it did slow down a little bit um compared to like going out in 60. So it kind of had some fartlek stuff in there, but yeah, they went through 5k in like 1355. Um, and just kind of kept on it. So that was, that was very honest. I was super 
we talked so much about like is Kip two going to do it, and we thought I don't know, but he's not going to get away, which is kind of what happened. He was, he put like ten or twenty meters in the first lap, but like then they cut to an interview, which was super cool the broadcast, <laughs> and then when they came back, he had been caught, um, two or three laps in, and that was one of the most important pieces of the entire race, like a top three moment in terms of importance, because letting him go there, which we didn't think they were going to do, but there, he did like, just from running up 30, he did kind of put a little bit, you know, in between him and Mance leading the rest of the group, but then they, they close it back up. And at that point, yeah, super like, why are you in the lead? Is kind of like the question, right? And he kept it honest for sure, but he didn't need to maybe be leading it, but that's kind of been, he's always been a front runner. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what the other option is there. Like I don't know, I don't know about his kick that much because I feel like he either blows everyone away or he's not there right at the end, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, tough to say. I mean, obviously he felt that was his best strategy to to win the race, um, and it took an NCAA record or NCAA championship record to beat him. Um, for sure, for sure. Like it, it wasn't like the guy just blew up and you know, a bunch of scrubs beat him. Some very, very good runners beat him and they had to run very fast to do it. So he made the race honest and he made it a, a real uh, test of fitness. Uh, didn't leave it to the last little bit. And um, I don't know. I don't know if he has regrets or if, if he feels that that was the best he had on the day. Um, tough to say, but sometimes you have to put yourself out there to to see and to to know what you're capable of um, you know, he left it all out there. So I, I definitely respect the effort and the move. Um, but yeah, I mean, circling back to our Stanford boy, uh, you know, Charles ran great. Mm -hmm. Redshirt freshman breaking 28, um, in a championship meet seventh place, all American, very impressive. Yeah. And Patrick Deaver won, which we should say, yeah, uh, 2741. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and he's he's British too, so I think Charles was a little bummed. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Charles ran fantastic. All those guys ran very fast, which was cool to see in a championship style race. Um, that that it was that honest. Yeah, I mean, Kip two really just it's so hard mentally. I feel like I I was watching it with people, and someone said, "Oh, maybe he like wasn't prepared for the fact that they would go with him," and I feel like he definitely was or at least should have been prepared for that i mean you can always have an off day right we're taking this for granted a little bit they're running very fast you can especially in a 10k as you know like stuff can start popping up at 6k 7k you're still so far from the finish line you know to to work through that and occasionally something happens you fall off not the end of the world but yeah i i just didn't think that it would be like him not realizing they would go with him because I seriously doubt he approached nationals like I'll just run away from everyone like that. It only worked at nationals that indoor 5k, you know, and they ran with him at cross. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this could have easily had an off day, but I don't know if it was if he was shocked that they went with him. That's that's on him because <laughs> like those guys, like, I don't know, um, a lot of those guys were up there close to him and cross. And, you know, I mean, we should based on the way the NCAA is running this year, it was going to be really hard to, to run fast enough early on to break that field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. The front running strategy has has obviously worked in the past, um, but everyone knew knew the game. I, it wasn't a surprise game that Kip Two might push it and break away. Um, yeah, it, I don't think anyone would willingly let him go after watching him 
get 50 meters on a field and then run the exact same pace and not have to kick and win it. You know, I, I think people learn their lesson. Uh, I think it's similar to, I guess this is a, a kind of a different example, but Chez early on in college would just blow everyone up, just kicking, sitting and kicking. Um, and towards the end of his college mm -hmm. career, everyone caught on to the game. And Pat Tiernan, who I mentioned earlier, realized if you squeeze the whole race, maybe you can squeeze the kick out of him. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But yeah, eventually people catch on to the game. Um, and I feel like it would have been a little, like, a little short-sighted to not think that people would go um, with the pace. I mean, soloing a 10K is so hard. And that's essentially what he did for most of it. With all of the, I mean, so even like if you're soloing a 10K at like one of your meets, which again, you're always being paced, but like if you're soloing there and you, and you lose, you still run fast and that's sick. Like soloing a 10K at NCA is when obviously the time is important, but the only thing that matters is, is placement in a lot of ways. Seems like the stress of that really would add so many more layers of, of difficulty to doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like how we talked about maybe 10 minutes ago. Yeah, you just have to be head and shoulders better than most other people in the field to have that be effective. If you're only marginally better, that's a that's a tough strategy to have work um, against a field that includes guys that are very accomplished. Yeah, yeah, as they certainly were. Yeah, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on on that day day one or day two of NCAs. We're recording this, I think, like right before the women's ten. Um, our girls got through, or two of our three girls got through. Julia had a tough finish which just sucks for her um like tripping before the line like that but she's gonna be in the 5k at least so you know she's got a chance to double it back um yeah i mean it seems like the next couple of days too friday saturday are going to be very fast yeah that 1500 final the the five final those those are going to be really cool yeah the men's 15 prelims were quick the women's 15 prelims were quick uh it's shaping up to be a, a very very fast championship two days for the men and women uh, that men's 15 battle is going to be really, really exciting. Uh, we don't have any Stanford guys in it, but I feel like there's some guys that will probably go on to be pros and will become very, very good milers on the U S and potentially world stage, uh, in that race. Uh, so that'll be super cool. Um, women's 15 will be awesome just to watch our, our Stanford women battle it out. Um, that should be pretty quick too. They ran very fast in their prelims. Um, yeah, it seems like the is the stadium called Hayward Field still, or is it called something else? I think you can definitely say Hayward Field. Okay, uh, yeah, it seems like yeah. the new Hayward is quite quite fast, fast track. Uh, I'm sure the grandstands help protecting the track from a bit of wind, and um, the shoes are good. Yeah, the shoes are good. Uh, that's certainly significant. People are fit. Um, it's it's shaping up to be a, a pretty cool Friday and Saturday watching uh, watching this. Yeah, warming it up for you, and then, <laughs> and then the next week trial. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big month. Where do you wanna Where do you wanna go to next? We wanna talk about the Diamond League race. I didn't watch it because that was literally earlier today. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But Mo running twelve fifty, uh, Jakob ran twelve forty eight. Um, Justin Knight, not out of nowhere, he's been running good fifteen hundreds, but out of nowhere in the context of running twelve fifty one, I would say. Uh, runs really well as well. I mean, that seems like a sick one to watch. Yeah, that was a really cool race. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me, I mean, this isn't a direct parallel, but 
So in the race, uh, Joshua Cheptegei was in it, world record holder in the 5K and 10K. And when the rabbits step off, uh, he kind of goes to the front and starts hammering 60s and 61s. Um, and he shakes a decent part of the field, but can't really shake five or six guys. Um, and they end up kicking past him towards the end. And uh, Cheptegei, I think, ends up sixth in maybe thir- or 12.54 or something like that, which is incredibly fast. That's insanely fast, <laughs> first of all, uh, for sixth place in a race. Um, but he- it was kind of a similar strategy to, to Kip to, to some degree, um, try to break the field from the front. Um, he is the world record holder in the five and the 10. So I wouldn't say that's an outlandish strategy to have. Um, he literally is better than everybody in the field time-wise, better than anyone ever time-wise. Um, but guys were able to stick on him and kick kick past. Um, one of my teammates, Mo, ran uh, quite a good race, uh, 12.50. And uh, Justin Knight, 12.51. I saw, I saw a tweet that there are now two Canadians faster than the American record, uh, which is kind of crazy. Those two are, wow. are quicker than the American record. Um, yeah, so. Geez. A very impressive race. Uh, that that whole meet was pretty cool. Uh, there was a really fast women's fifteen hundred, as well. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just really cool to see. Uh, you know, people people turn it up in the Olympic year, um, and we got a little over a month to go until the actual Olympics. So now's the time that the pros are coming into form. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, an interesting wrinkle of that, like you didn't even have the opportunity to go there. You know with with the trials next week and like there are no american i don't know if there are any americans in any events but i know there you know there are no americans in those distance events right i uh, yeah i didn't see any americans in the distances yeah if, if we're wrong uh apologies but I'm, I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure there are none uh that's another wrinkle of like you know both those guys being canadian and getting kind of you know their 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 selection system's a little bit different it's often done off of like you know work in the preceding years as opposed to on that day at a track meet, right? I know Britain has been, you know, like Mark Scott got the one Olympic spot uh, offered at that meet that he ran at, the like 10K qualifier, right? But the other two are usually selected, if I'm not mistaken. And that's the thing with the American system. Obviously, you got to get the A standard, but other than that, it's top three at the trials because of how deep we are. And that just, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fundamental, like different approach because especially with it only being about three weeks before the actual Olympics, that that's an interesting little wrinkle there. Cause like, like you said, not looking past like a prelim, you're certainly not going to look past USA's at, at whatever's after that. We've all, you know, everyone competing at that meet has got to go max out for it, but then it's going to be a kind of quick turnaround before, uh, before the games. Now you, you know, you, you probably won't run 12, 1251 at trials, you know, or that equivalent in the 10 K. So maybe it won't be quite as, quite as hard on the bod, but it will be a max effort at a certain point you know, for sure, whether it's towards the end or the whole way through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess going back to the Rome Diamond League, I think there were some American throwers and jumpers there uh, that will probably be doubling back for the trials. Um, Yeah, I don't know a ton about the throws, but I would, if I had to say, like, it's probably a little lighter on your body to, to do, you know, six shot put throws and then come back for USA's than to run an all-out 5K or 10K and then come back for USA. So maybe a little little easier to double double back. Um, 
But yeah, it's interesting. You know, you can't look past USA's. It doesn't matter who you are. The U.S. is so deep in every single event, men and women, that you can't really look past it. And I mean, you you kind of have to double peak or or extend your peak from trials to the Olympics, ideally, if if you were to make the team. Um, you can't really train through trials. It it doesn't matter how good you are. God, no. um, it's once every four years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would say like even. Michael Norman, for example, a great 400 meter runner for the U.S. I don't think he can train through trials. Sydney McLaughlin, I don't think she can train through trials. Like you still have to get up for them and uh, focus for them. Um, other countries, it may be different. Uh, there are selection committees in other countries where, if you're just running fast all year, or maybe you're the only person in your country that gets the Olympic standard, uh, you're probably going to get picked, and you can just peak for the big one, the Olympic Games. Um, so it's a little different. Um, Americans have, I mean, they, they advertise the U S team as the world's hardest team. Uh, you can make arguments that, you know, maybe Ethiopia is harder. Kenya is harder. Or, I don't know. The Across U- the board, it's harder, probably but, our track team, right? I mean, like, I think that, yeah, distance side alone, we might not have the toughest one. It's certainly tough, yeah. but probably the full, just based on metal count and stuff. Yeah, I think if you look at the entire track and field team, the U.S. is probably the, the hardest one to make overall. Um, event to event, obviously. It yeah, varies. yeah. No, no disrespect to any foreign yeah. athletes who are incredibly good at their specific event and, uh, you know, would be mad. I'm sure they're all listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure the people ranked number one in the world in, in other events are, are avid yeah. listeners of the pod. Like um, hammer just being like yeah let's, let's hear about that 5k at the diamond league yeah but yeah it, it it provides a different situation for american athletes um i guess you could make an argument that maybe having a selection committee would be better for people's overall performance at the games but i don't know selection committees make mistakes sometimes like uh, I feel oh, like the most the most fair way to do it is have it be a race and top three go. I, I personally like the American system. Um, it could be a mistake who gets the top three spots if you're if like the identif- if you're trying to identify the best three runners per event. It could still be a mistake, but you'd much rather have the mistake be made on merit, right? Like you'd much rather it be, hey, these three guys were the best on the day and have the standard therein as opposed to the trials committee making a mistake over something right. really borderline, right? Like you'd rather, like if the top three people on the world ranking sheet don't get the top three spots, if they lost that race on that day to people with the A standard, like that still kind of sucks big picture as to like, is that a mistake because they're a top three person? But it's also not a mistake because you did the race, you know, like it, it, it played out, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's close enough to the trials that if someone does, or sorry, it's close enough to the Olympics that if someone does really well at the trials, chances are they're going to do That's a good point. well at the yeah. Olympics. Uh, a tough spot that a committee could be in would be maybe some athlete A runs really well in January and February and then has kind of tapered off, hasn't been running that well lately. But athlete B uh, didn't run well in January and February, but is coming on, has good momentum, uh, starting to come into form in June. Um, You know, who do you pick? The guy with the better PR that ran it in January or the guy with momentum that maybe will PR next race or maybe PR at the Olympics? It's it's, it's a hard decision to make. Um, I don't envy those selection committees. I'm sure there's a lot of thought that goes into it, but it makes it a little easier... um, 
or not easier in a sense of like difficulty, but just nicer to wrap your head around that it's a little more merit based. Yeah, a hundred percent. I okay. I think this is fine to ask you. I, how do you think the ten's gonna go? I mean, like, I don't think that what you. I mean, don't say like your strategy or whatever <laughs> if you even formulated all the way yet. But like, uh, you know, I mean, you know about who's entered. You know who has the A standard. That kind of thing. Like, do you think it's gonna be honest? Do you? Are you? I mean, and again, just don't answer parts that you don't want to answer, or we'll cut it. But like, what do you, what do you think? Your kind of just general strat is going to be and, and looking at like the field like what there's what could happen um if i had to guess on a type of race i would say my my best guess would be some sort of a fartlek style race um maybe not intentionally by one person controlling the fartlek but effectively a fartlek style race um it's a, it'll be a sizable field um a range of prs and stuff a range of fitness levels, a range of closing ability. And I think the way that I've seen a lot of 10Ks go, if if your strength is your aerobic fitness, you don't want to leave it to a kick. Um, you'll try to string it out earlier, which I could totally see people doing. Um, the kickers or the people that maybe are a little more unsure about their fitness overall, but maybe think if there's a lap to go, they can kick with anybody. Uh, they're probably not going to want to lead much. Um, and you know, if the, if the pace slows the, the true strength people, the true 10 K half marathon type guys will, will try to string it out and get rid of some people or try to zap, zap the sting out a bit. Um, you know, that being said, anything can happen. You know, we could sit around for 9,600 meters and then kick for a lap. Um, we could go hard from the gun. Someone could take it and try to just run away from the field. You got to be prepared for anything. But I think effectively a, a fartlek style would be what I would think would be the most likely. Yeah. just some, And I, I like what you said about it not being intentional and not being by one guy. Because yeah. I feel like the amount of like just jitteriness in a, in a pack in that kind of like magnitude of a race could definitely produce that. I Just hearing you even talk about it, like being prepared for anything, I mean – like you're in a spot where if it goes out aggressive and on the gun, it's still probably not going to run faster in your PR. I mean, you have to, you have to execute on the day, of course, but it's, it's still, I mean, prepare for it, whatever, but it's unlikely that we're going to see three under 27, 11 or, or whatever. But, and then likewise, you know, like you've, you've shown a lot of great range. Um, the, the three thirty six the, it was three thirty six right? Yeah. Yeah, the three thirty six, the the obviously the the five, uh, the most recent five with with the close, and then also like your your other like five k of thirteen oh four. I mean, you have to feel at least solid, like solid, like like you're kind of covered in either direction to an extent. You know, obviously, racing at this level, you can never have a a check mark. You know, you can never have even like shaded in that. Yeah, this is for sure what's going to happen. But I feel like you can at least sit and be like, look as long as I'm feeling all right on the day or I'm able to execute the way I know I can, I will give myself chances at it the second half of the race, which is all you can really ask for, right? Like you don't have to bank on it being honest or bank on it being tactical in order to like be looking at the leaders, be among the leaders going into the bell, you know? And I feel like that for me, I've had similar situations going into races where I like feel in control, obviously way slower, but in control. 
of like that kind of style of race. And I feel like that would give me a lot of like calm in, in that sense, knowing like, Hey, if, if this guy goes and, you know, tries to take it out, like I've done it before, I should be able to do it. And if it's really slow, I trust myself to, to kick to a certain extent, you know, maybe you take it, maybe you're the guy who takes over at nine K. I don't know. But like, I wonder, does that help? Does what you've done, I guess, does, I mean, obviously the work you've done helps, but like, does that kind of give you that mindset of, at least I'm in, I'm in control knowing that I should be there at least towards the end, if not, you know, win. Yeah, absolutely. I, you touched on a few things there. Uh, one thing I, I feel like would be valuable to talk about is something that when we were in college, our coach talked about a lot, Coach Milt, was y- you can't get too attached to the dream scenario or the optimal scenario. Um, you know, there's going to be 20 or 30 guys in this race and any one of them could go to the front and change the race dynamic. Um, things can happen. And if you're married to a certain plan or a certain scenario, um, if you're married to a sit and kick strategy and you think that's your only option, if someone strings it out, you're going to start panicking. Um, similarly, if you're banking on it being quick, getting rid of some of these kickers uh, and nobody's doing that, you're going to panic. Um, and that applies to any race distance, any scenario, any level of uh, competition. doesn't matter if it's a, a dual meet or the Olympic trials. You can't be so married to a race plan that you can't adapt. Um, right now, I feel like I'm in a quite a good spot. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, but I feel just kind of well-rounded, like you said. Uh, I feel fit. I feel like I can kick well. I um, feel like I can handle a back-and-forth pace. Um, and that, that does bring me some calm, just knowing that, you know, the race will play out how it plays out. Um, I'll do what I can to control it if that's part of the race plan, but, um, things are going to happen that are out of my control and all I can do is respond to it, um, and respond as best I can and feel confident that my response will be, uh, good enough to, to make this team. Um, that's kind of all you can do and control what you can control out there. Uh, there's going to be, yeah, like I said, 20 or 30 people with 20 or 30 different plans. And all of those people are thinking of themselves that in the top three, uh, everyone wants to make that team. We all have the same goal and, you know, only three people are going to make it. So yeah, I guess, I guess to come full circle, um, feeling well-rounded, I feel like is the, the spot that I want to be going into this thing. Um, not needing a certain scenario to happen for, for me to have a chance, but that I can create my own chance out of whatever happens. Yeah. I mean, it just helps you relax so much. Cause I, you took the words right out of my mouth. What with well-rounded, I feel like that's, that's the kind of runner that you've, you know, established yourself as, uh, which is awesome. And I think that in high school that would be referred to as lucky almost you know or something of like oh yeah well he can just kind of cover stuff that's great but you know you work to be a well-rounded runner as well um no doubt you were well-rounded for a for a high school you were well-rounded for a collegian but now it's getting to the point where you're well-rounded kind of on that national maybe even international stage that you might be able to handle a great deal of different kinds of strats you know and that that's that's a byproduct of the training and all the work and also on the mental side, for sure, not just to compliment the hell out of you before this, but <laughs> just just in general like that, you know, if you're talking about other people in the field, you can't like 
they might be more married to a strategy simply because they don't have, like there are some guys in that field who probably know I can't, if I'm with 10 people with a lap to go and it's been slow, I am not going to be top three, you know, and you can kick as hard as you, you want. Like don't, I guess, don't admit it to yourself or whatever, like grind it out. But like, realistically, it doesn't give me a good chance of, of getting it done. And, um, so yeah, it's, you are able to be calm because of, of the fitness and, and the work, but then also like the, the fitness was, was kind of a strain. I don't know. Like it's, it kind of, it kind of works back and forth if that makes sense. Right. Like you're able to have that calm mindset because of the fitness, but also like the fitness helps you or like the, the calm kind of influences like your ability to, to finish and close within the race itself. Right. Because halfway through, you're not getting jittery about going to the lead or it's been too fast or too slow or, or whatever you, you hopefully have that ability to kind of close from anywhere at anything. And that, that, that reciprocal relationship just kind of keeps building and building on itself. If that, if that makes sense. And yeah, so, I mean, it seems like you're going to have a, have a good shot at this and, uh, it, it'll be a good watch. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm excited. I mean, all I can do is give it my best shot. So, uh, I'm excited for the chance and I, yeah, it should be a good one. I'll have, you know, a lot of my family friends out there, so it'll be, it'll be fun to see them. I, I was talking to my parents a few weeks ago and, um, they said they hadn't, I hadn't really thought about this, but they hadn't seen me race since NCAAs in 2019, uh, when they were in Texas. Uh, so it's been some time since we've had fans and people at races and stuff. So, um, I'm excited just to get back in that environment, uh, being a cool stadium at the biggest race I've run in, uh, in my career. Um, and hopefully, uh, have a good one. I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, although I don't think you're going to want to answer me, but I'm kind of, I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you think you could have run in Rome today? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I, I mean, most certainly in better shape than me. So I, I don't think I would have been up there with him. It would have been interesting because I feel like it, if anyone has watched the race, there was a breakaway pack, um, full of very talented runners that all ran around 1250 or so, um, I, I'm not one to project my fitness too much and say like, oh yeah, I'm in 1250 shape. But um, I think I would have been like a bit maybe behind that pack. But the, the, prob <laughs> the problem with that pack is is there was a ton of space. Um, like if you were running more like 13 flat, you'd kind of be in no man's land if I remember the race correctly. Um, Sometimes I set it up that way, you know? It's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to get six guys in here who are like 1248 shape and we're going to get like that's that's who we're bringing in, and then we'll get like fill it out. Yeah, with other very talented runners, no doubt. But I feel like sometimes Diamond League meets have that like, hey, world record pace, and then everyone else running like, you know, twenty seconds behind that, but still very good. Just no one in the middle. It's hard to find that middle. Well, the the middle kind of kind of falls out just because everybody wants to go with the twelve fifty pace. And, when you fall off of that, and, yeah, yeah, and, and so like if you're even if you're in thirteen flat shape hypothetically. Um, like if you go with the 1250 pack, you're probably going to blow up if you fall off. You're not going to... I mean, not to deviate too much, but did you see the 10K last night? Like there were pictures of those like eight or nine guys who ended up breaking like 2750. And they'd have a straightaway between them and the next guy, you know? And like, it's not like those nine guys were that much better than every... I mean, they were on the day objectively, but yeah. not like those runners are that much better than the other, you know, some of the other guys in that race at least. But yeah, it's the same kind of deal, right? Like if you drop off of that kind of pace, you're usually a good enough runner where you, you 
if you're dropping off, you don't have that much left. Like yeah. you're not like giving up beforehand and, and, and running it in pretty solid. Yeah. You're, you're going with the pace until you can't anymore. So it kind of creates like, yeah, there's not much of a middle ground either. Either you went with it and could stay or you went with it and blew up. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, yeah, like I said, I don't like putting numbers to my fitness. I, I don't know exactly what kind of number wise shape I'm in. Um, how far, okay, okay, okay. How far do you think you could have run with them? <laughs> I, I don't know, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not answering that I one. I think it would have been a long way. Oh, no, I didn't think you'd answer the question. But I, you, we're getting past 4K. We're looking at 800 to go. It's like, well, if we get to the bell, we might as well just finish. Like, you know, one of those. I don't know. I, I, I was never going to actually make you answer the question. But, I, you know, I, it, you would have been up there. Maybe not, maybe not all the way through, like you said. I mean, Moe's, Moe's, I mean, those, yeah. But, like, not that far off. Yeah. Which is, which is exciting for sure. I, I would hope that I would have gone with the pace and, and seen what happens. You know, either go with the I pace. I think you'll get that opportunity post, you know, like, trials Olympics. Like, you'll finally have these chances to go to Diamond League meets and really, like, I mean, Bowerman's done a great job of setting you guys up. And, obviously, Mo did run 1247 at, at one of y'all's home meets. But... I think, you know, you're going to get that chance for the first time in your life to, to go over and really kind of rip stuff. And that, that should be, that should be really special too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'll be cool. Um, yeah. When I remember when I PR'd earlier this season in the five and 10, I, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I could probably get into some diamond league meets with these PRs now, <laughs> which before <laughs> I, I definitely couldn't have, I don't think they would have accepted me, but now I think, I think I might be able to get into some big time meets now, which is really cool. Um, you know, I watched that on TV today. I've been watching high level meets since I was young. And I, uh, you know, to be at that international level, which every Diamond League race is, uh, it would be really cool. Um, so, yeah, hopefully there's some opportunities uh, maybe later in the season. But uh, I mean, circling back to the trials talk, you know, you don't want to look past. <laughs> you know god too, no, too far no. so. but the diamond the diamond <laughs> league meets you're gonna get a chance to run in those no matter what happens don't look at them right now but like <laughs> that's at least exciting that we're gonna get to there yeah yeah so yeah man exciting time of the year um yeah this is this is it this is what we've been building for um summertime races so should be uh should be a really fun experience awesome oh um one more thing Changing gears quickly because we got a question about this and I wanted to actually ask you because I don't know. Um, and you're wearing the sweatshirt. It was a merch drop, right? 6-1. I swear to God, I saw that on everyone's Instagram, <laughs> which is which is cool. I mean, um, but just when you follow everyone on the team and <laughs> you see it like a hundred times. Uh, what was what was the latest merch drop for Bowerman? It was like the Japanese fusion one. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we recently dropped a bunch of uh, clothes, you know, hoodies, t-shirts, shorts, uh, long sleeves, stuff like that. Um, and it's kind of Bowerman, uh, or a Tokyo inspired Bowerman line of stuff. So a lot of it has things written in Japanese. Uh, the hoodie I'm wearing right now, I think it says Bowerman track club in Japanese. Um, there are different things written on some sleeves and stuff. I know the, the brand team worked very hard and checked many times to make sure that the translation was accurate um so that, that and tattoos <laughs> that that and tattoos you got to double and triple check with yeah so i believe all the translations work out correctly um yeah so some of this some of the things say like 
Bowerman in English and then uh, Track Club or Athletic Club in Japanese. So stuff like that. So really cool collaboration. Um, I know our brand team worked really hard on it. So I think the gear is, is super cool. Um, they did a cool like video promo shoot and, and some photos that, that they had when they dropped it. Uh, I actually haven't checked since it dropped to see any, if it's like all sold out. Um, but if you want to check it out, uh, bowermantc.com slash store, uh, or if you just search Bowerman and then you can go through the webpage to get to the store. Um, but yeah, just some Tokyo inspired stuff. Uh, some of it has the, the red, uh, the red circle that's on the, the Japanese flag. Uh, just, just cool stuff like that. So yeah, definitely a cool little collaboration, a little collab. We're, we're, we're getting pretty advanced out here and, and no free ads. So I'll expect payment for, for the plug on the side, (laughs) but, um, okay. Does it have anything to do with you guys occasionally have Japanese athletes training with the group, right? Or at least some, some train in Eugene. And we got a question about that too. Is there a tie there or can you describe what that relationship is like? Yeah, totally. Um, so Japanese athletes had been training with Bowerman since before I joined the team. Um, I believe it originated with the Japanese Athletic Federation, specifically the Track and Field Federation, wanting Japanese athletes at the Tokyo Olympic Games. So as early as I think 2017, maybe even 2016, the Japanese Federation was looking at taking some of their up-and-coming talent getting them to high level training groups in hopes that by the time 2020 rolled around, they would be able to qualify for the Olympics and have uh, local home athletes at, at the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. Um, obviously it's 2021 now, but the, the goal remains the same. Uh, yeah. So since I've been on the team, the, the Japanese guys training with us most consistently have been Hyuga and Nanami um nanami just broke the da- the japanese record in the 1500 he ran 337 flat uh Hyuga has run 1318 i believe um oh, jesus the a standards are so hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah 1318 so uh neither guys have the standard currently but uh you know i think they're working the point system trying to get enough points to be selected uh, i think they have japanese championships either this weekend or next um but yeah, they live in the U.S. with us. They live in Portland. I train with the team. Uh, our coach coaches them. Um, and uh, they're great guys, really hard workers. Uh, you know, we, we pick up a little Japanese, but they've picked up far more English than we've picked up their Japanese. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, they're, they're fun guys to train with. Um, and when we were, they just left about a week ago, maybe, to go back to Japan for the championships. But uh, you know, they live in the houses with us, eat with us, uh, you know, cook with us. We all drive around together. Um, the training's all the same. So it's a cool partnership that we've had um, with those guys, just seeing a different culture, them seeing our culture, um, training together, watching those guys have success. Uh, it's been cool. Awesome. Yeah, I just figured I'd ask because I saw the sweatshirt and I already- <laughs> didn't know if it was just like oh the games or if it had any connection or any of that stuff but it's also cool to hear that background because you you hear a lot about japanese athletes training in, in oregon and it's always like like why oregon are they with a group like why wouldn't they just go to altitude but i mean a lot of that makes sense um if they're kind of working in conjunction with the rest of bowerman yeah they they essentially operate as athletes on our team um 
they're not technically Bowerman athletes, uh, but yeah, they do the same training, coached by the same person, do all the same stuff. So uh, I know there are other Japanese athletes that train in other spots throughout the world with other teams. And um, I believe the main goal is to get as many Japanese athletes in the Olympic games in Tokyo as possible. Um, so saying, saying that I don't, I don't really know what the long-term plan is after this year, because obviously once the Olympics happen in Tokyo, there's not really an Olympic games in Tokyo to get people qualified this is, for. This so. is hundred percent true. <laughs> so, so yeah. when funding, funding often revolves like for host nations, I feel like funding often revolves around like that impending games. Yep. Right. I was actually just thinking, cause like, they're close to these A standards. Is there anything in track like there is in soccer? Um, in FIFA, the World Cup, the host nation always makes it in. And that's not a big deal when it's like Brazil, but like South Africa, South Africa, it gets an auto bid. Russia, Russia got an auto bid. It's going to be in Qatar in 2022, which is still like crazy that they're holding it there. And I think that means that the Qatari national team is going to get <laughs> an auto bid into the world cup i mean it's probably different with a standards i know there's like wild cards and all that i don't really i'm not going to pretend to know how that works but i assume that they have to hit the a standard like everyone else oh, or, or the point system obviously yeah i think they have to hit the a standard i so i again i don't know all the details of this if somebody knows send us a dm but there's always a few athletes that are maybe like in the 100 meters or something from a country that doesn't really have any track athletes and they run like 13 point in the hundred uh which they're wild cards in distance too i feel like i remember that like a guy running like 15 in the in the at worlds in 2019 or yeah so in the 5k maybe not i i forget the rule if it's like if you're a country that doesn't have anything anyone qualified if you can send one person even if they don't have a standard or anything i don't know if that applies to only track or like the entire olympic games like you have no one qualified in any sport you can send one person um i don't really know how it works but yeah you you often see people that yeah maybe might run 15 flat in the men's 10 5k or 13 point in the men's 100 and you kind of think to yourself man how do they qualify um i i believe i believe the way is that yeah if you're a country that doesn't have anyone qualified you can send one person something like that the wild card slots according to well this is not actually the ioc website but those things are usually pretty ineffective according to this website wild card slots are available determined by a continental representation formula which sounds like the type of thing they determine like bids for the world cup again except in this context we're talking about people who otherwise would not be close to qualifying so i don't know um wild card system is not perfect yeah, I don't know. I feel like we hear about that. Some, there's like some randos in the Olympics who run very off the pace or even in other events, like aren't up to the normal standard and, and they're in there. Uh, it seems like the type of thing that it's very cloudy. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> like how it works. like the, the logic. Damn. Okay. Well, I mean, that that's not even what would be their time. I think I think it's like, you know, for countries that have no one qualified in anything. And you can like, I don't know, enter one or two or three people overall in the entire games. Maybe if you have a certain, I don't know. We, we got to Google it for future pods. For yeah. Future, for future pods, for sure. People are going to want to know. <laughs> yeah, that's must-know information. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, yeah, it's not something I think you're going to have to really be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, you know how else you can get uh, entry in these Diamond League meets just in case your, your PRs don't cut it? How's that? Just don't lose for the next, like, month and a half. <laughs> yeah, that would help. That would certainly help. Uh, that's a good idea, though. I hadn't really thought about that one. But yeah, yeah I, just, I just thought I'd run it by you before before the next couple of weeks. Just yeah. So you knew, like, oh man, I shouldn't. Lose. I thought you were gonna say I could rabbit or something. <laughs> He's like, you can get <laughs> no, in these no, diamond is... leagues, just be a rabbit. <laughs> no, you could you can get in now. Thirteen zero and dude, you're you're gonna be. It's not that we're even gonna think about it yet. <laughs> yeah, I think I think not I even... hammered, hammered that point home enough. <laughs> not even not even crossing our mind, but um. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna do a pod before next before Friday, uh, if you want. Yeah, I'd I'd want to. After that, it's gonna be dependent on your schedule. But I thought kind of the beauty of this, even when we were originating, it is hopefully being able to talk pretty soon after the races. Uh, hopefully in between the days, like in between the two. But then again, like it's all gonna be dependent on what's best for you. Um, and I'm, I obviously respect that. I'm sure that everyone listening would as well. So. But hopefully we can give you guys some content as we move into the coming weeks. Um, I'm super excited to watch your run. And you seem like you're in a good spot, man. So we'll do one more of these before the actual, before, you know, you probably leave for Oregon and all that. But uh, I'll probably recap the rest of NCAs and such. But yeah, it's exciting, man. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. Yeah, we should be able to get one in before I leave for the 10. And then uh, I'm going to come back up here most likely between the 10 and the 5. So uh should be back at the mic uh we'll be able to give a little breakdown uh between those two so um yeah i th- and the potential 15 we got to yeah yeah and the, the potential 15 have as you, well. have you, do you have to scratch that if you are scratching it or how does that work i think i have to scratch at some point um i'm not i'm not sure when i should probably look into that so i don't get in trouble or just triple <laughs> yeah or maybe i'll be forced to triple uh but yeah <laughs> we'll see still on the table Awesome, dude. Uh, and thanks to everyone listening for for uh, listening to our for the Half Step Pod. I uh, I guess we'll catch you guys hopefully earlier next week. Obviously, we can't release it on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening, guys. Um, yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk next week. And hopefully this, this actually saves when you click stop recording. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Later. about to share a screen with you before I do this that was good all right here it is it's still recording I'm gonna hit the red stop button